This is a shock podcast. everyone this is Jonathan and you're listening to From Grit to Great podcast Jed won't be in this podcast as of the moment he's currently out he needs to attend to some business and so I'm just going to be alone doing this podcast but there's going to be a special guest in today's session we've promised to you many times that we'll be including some guests who will be sharing their expertise and today's episode is going to be a special one because it has something to do with mixing politics with business at work Why am I raising this question? So background, a few weeks ago, I had this client. We were talking about this motivational talk. They invited me. And in the middle of the conversation, the client said, so Jonathan, who are you going to vote for in the upcoming elections? So for our listeners, I come from the Philippines and we are about to do the national elections in the next few months, this coming May 2022. And so you can just imagine how people are becoming very active talking about politics on social media and also even in the workplace. And so I shared my political candidate and this client has a different candidate that she wants to vote. So she wanted to probe, so John, why are you voting for this candidate? This candidate is X, Y, and Z. You should be voting for someone else instead. And so I was wondering why the conversation was progressing to that part. She started to make more jokes even at the end and saying, oh no, it seems like we won't be taking John as a speaker instead because she won't be voting for my favorite So a part of me finds this a bit unprofessional, but nevertheless, I still had to put my chins up and we still continued. I'm still going to be speaking for the client and I hope things turn out well. But in the meantime, this made me think of the idea, let's do a podcast about vocalizing your political views in the workplace or business setting. I think this is something that we all get trapped with. For example, the holidays are just about to start and we're going to be ending up doing some Christmas dinners. And for sure, there's going to be a part wherein they'll be asking the question, what do you think about X, Y, and Z that involves politics? It could be about climate climate change. It could be about vegetarianism. It could be about whatever it is that involves politics under the sun. So in the spirit of that, I'd like to introduce someone who will be talking about this topic with me today. And I was wondering who should I be inviting for this? And I was pressured to invite someone who needs to be close to my heart and someone who knows a lot about this topic. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce our first ever guest, no other than Miss Nicole Corato. So Nicole is a professor of sociology at the Center for Deliberative Democracy and Global Governance at the University of Canberra in Australia. She is the author of the prize-winning book, Democracy in a Time of Misery, published by the Oxford University Press. On top of that, she is a gin enthusiast and an avid supporter of Taylor Swift. I am also a big fan of Taylor Swift. So without further ado, can I call on stage, our virtual stage, Ms. Nicole Curato. Drum roll. Hi, Jonathan. Yeah, <laughs> drum roll. Thank you for making me feel so special. And hi Thanks. to Jed. I'm sorry he's not here. I really miss him already. I will try to say that to him in the next two weeks, just so he feels that he's really missed. So, <laughs> 
By the way, before I even start the conversation, I'm going to say this now. So if you guys are going to stalk Neeks, as we call her. So Nicole Corato is her full name, but we call her as Neeks. Neeks, by the way, is also my mentor and fellow debater when I was in university. And if you're going to stalk her, she's available on Twitter, at Nicole Corato. So Neeks, before I start, I want to ask, on a scale of 1 to 10, how vocal are you about expressing your thoughts about politics at work or even with family? At work. Yeah, very, very vocal. Although I think I kind of have an easy experience here because I'm in a speech bubble, right? So the colleagues <laughs> I work with are people who already share my politics. But yes, I'm very vocal about my politics at work. If you were to give a number, what would that be? 10, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I would be eight or seven. I would still have some reservations at times for reasons that I think I'm concerned about confrontations or only because I don't want to hurt the other person's feelings if ever we have different views. So speaking of confrontations, because this is something that I think a lot of our listeners are going to be interested to talk about. I've prepared three questions, which I think the most popular that our listeners are concerned with. So Can I start with the first question? And this has something to do with judging someone based on their political ideology. So my question is, do you think it's fair to judge someone's moral values based on their political ideology, person, or an organization that they vocally support? What does research say about the consistency of your personality vis-a-vis your political ideology? For example, I find it hypocritical that I have some friends on Facebook who would mention a Bible verse or a Quran verse on social media. And yet at the same time, they vocally support a company that exploits, let's say, child labor. Is there any research that says about this? Yeah, I think the headline here is that our beliefs and values are rarely consistent. These values and beliefs are constructed as we go along. So I could name you a lot of studies, especially in the context of the Philippines, where people are perfectly comfortable to, for example, support a very brutal war against drugs while exactly quoting the Bible because of the context (laughs) of the Old Testament and revenge. So it really depends on who's listening and how we interpret that. Because for some people, it's not inconsistent, but maybe for someone who doesn't share exactly the same values, um, they're consistent. But in terms of study, I think the U.S. obviously has a lot of uh, very fascinating uh, studies about this. But I think what really alarms me is how our political conversations have become so hyper-partisan. I think there is that big difference when we are talking about politics at work versus talking about partisanship at work. Politics means these are the things that I believe in. Partisanship means I just support this party and everyone else who supports the other party is mistaken, they're wrong, they're morally reprehensible. And I think what's what's really bothering about this is it stops meaningful conversations from happening. Mm, mm. For example, in the US, the Pew Research Center finds that Republicans and Democrats associate negative traits automatically with people who are part of the other party. So in other words, Democrats think that Republicans are more closed-minded than other Americans, and Republicans think that Democrats are more closed-minded than other Americans. So yeah, I think like what I mentioned, the stakes are big here. The stake is how we can have a conversation on how we want to live together. Because I think ultimately, democratic politics is about 
making decisions together on how we want to organize our lives together because we have no choice, right? We have to live together. We live in the same planet. We live in the same country. So if the other side is just so close-minded because of their political affiliation, then I think we're in trouble. Interesting. I don't want to sound elitist here, but correct me if my thinking is okay or valid. Does it have anything to do with your level of education? So for example, the more educated you are, the more you can have logical thinking or logical skills. Therefore, if you find inconsistency about, I believe in X, therefore I also support X, versus why am I quoting a Bible verse when I'm actually supporting someone who's into killing other people? If you are more educated, can that be proportional to that kind of thinking? Or does research also say that it doesn't happen all the time? I mean, not necessarily. When we look at Trump supporters, for example, there is sometimes this impression that these are people from left behind communities, right? That just felt that they have to support a president who will speak up for them. But actually, if we break that down, there is some research that demonstrate, actually, no, these are middle-class evangelical women who feel threatened by the multicultural diversity that is taking place in America. The same is true in a country like the Philippines. There is an impression that maybe it's communities who have no education about human rights, about liberal values that support a president who literally said he calls for a genocide of drug addicts. But actually, if we look at polling data before President Duterte won the presidency, his support actually came from middle classes, right? So educational levels don't necessarily have anything to do with uh, these political affiliations. Some, maybe in some contexts, but for the most part, I wouldn't reduce it to formal education. Interesting. So I cannot conclude that if my colleague at work graduated at the top university, magna cum laude, it doesn't mean that this person is going to have the same beliefs as mine. Interesting. No, so, not at all. Yeah, it's, it's more complicated than that. So I'm going to ask a personal question. If, let's say, you have a colleague at work and you know how the academe can be complicated in terms of building friendships and networks as well, I think you're one of the youngest successful academes that I know in my life, but you also have obviously a lot of colleagues who may come from the Generation X, for example. If you find out that a colleague supports a different political ideology, will you continue to be friends with them? Yeah, I think when it comes to friendship. Wait, Nix, you you held for a bit, like you paused for two or three seconds before answering that question. I'm wondering why. <laughs> Maybe my <laughs> I did did I? No, no. But I think my answer is when it comes to friendships or uh, even romantic relationships or in our families, I think there are differences that enrich us, right? Because differences um, allow us to learn. So, for example, I have a conservative Muslim colleague from Marawi in southern Philippines. And she told me that in the Quran, destiny is something that Allah has already written for us. And we're, we're colleagues. She's a sociologist as well. And obviously, I completely reject this claim. I'm a proud atheist. I believe that we as people have some, though not absolute, control over our lives. And to say that our lives have already been uh, written for us is depressing for me. I don't think that's sociologically accurate. But what I learned from this conversation is the importance of the value of resignation. 
resignation not in the sense that I don't care anymore, but resignation uh, in the sense that there may be undesirable events that may happen to us beyond our control. Mm. And the best we can do is to find a way to make that difficult moment more bearable. So it is written, right? How can we make it better? So yeah, I think we disagree with that interpretation because obviously I don't have any religion and obviously she's very religious, but I take that interaction as a moment of learning and how I can better interpret difficult moments in my life using the logic that she put forward. So I think that can be enriching. But I don't mean to sound so self-righteous here because let's face it, there are also colleagues who believe in certain things that are totally ridiculous that I totally don't accept and I find it really hard to engage. And I have no advice <laughs> when that happens. Maybe you do. But I think for me, my, my premise when I meet someone at work whose views are entirely different from mine is to treat it as a potential learning experience. So can I ask, are you going to judge me if I will say sometimes I filter my romantic dates before I meet them up? Let's say I meet on Tinder. We first do some chatting. Are you giving hey. a questionnaire? Sorry? Are you giving a political questionnaire? I do have a political questionnaire. So for example, <laughs> I would ask questions like, what do you think of climate change? Because if the person does not believe in it, I'm sorry. I just can't bear to love that person or even start, right? Or I would start with easy questions like, what do you think of mandatory vaccination? I don't need you to side on a certain clause. I just need you to tell me what your thought process is. Because if mm -hmm. you can't answer that way, a certain thought process, then we might not be on the same wavelength. Yeah, and I think that's a good standard because, I mean, a while ago you were asking me, is it fair to judge people's values based on their political beliefs? And I think, yeah, you're right. There's nothing inherently wrong with judging them, but what matters is the process that we use to arrive at those judgments. So I think what you're saying is you judge them based on the way they construct their arguments. You, you judge them based on the way they explain their political views. And I think that's the most fair way of going about it. We can meaningfully judge a person's moral values or political views after we have a discussion with them, we deliberate with them, we exchange ideas, listen to their stories. And if we find that interaction satisfying, then Jonathan, by all means, uh, go out with this person. I feel like I'm doing a mental wellness therapy session with Uniques, having said that. <laughs> so just, no, because I just realized that at least I feel better now that when I start judging someone, it's not because I feel that I am superior to them because I think that I have a better point of view, but rather because I judge them based on how did you arrive with that conclusion? And therefore, that becomes a merit for saying, maybe I won't be on the same wavelength with this person because we just don't think in a way that I think is fair or logical to begin with. Imagine going out on a date with somebody who says, yeah, I think climate change is the biggest existential crisis on the planet right now. And then you ask a follow-up question about, so what do you think about fossil fuel companies and whether we should ban them? And then this person can't respond, right? Because it's a belief that climate change is wrong. But when you further probe, there's nothing else to talk about. That doesn't make a good date, even if your mm. beliefs align, right? So I think to me, the judgment here is the, the quality of conversation. There you go. That is romantic dating tip number one from Mrs. Nicole. <laughs> I'm going to also add Neeks. I think this is something that's connected to how the trend in companies are these days. So 2020, I've started to notice that a lot of companies are more into diversity training among their employees. The idea that, hey, if your colleague has a different political philosophy, it may be a reason for a difference, but we have to respect where they're coming from. However, 
this does not mean that every belief is worth respecting. We still draw the line that you can only tolerate certain values, such as you can't say and you can't justify that my belief that killing X, Y, and Z is okay because of blank. So I think we put the line also behind that. And I think that's, correct me again, if I'm getting into stepping into that line, but I think if the person crosses that line, that's the kind of judgment that is going to be fair that I don't want to associate myself with that person anymore. Um, but I think we also have to understand the context here because there are really some cultures and beliefs that think death penalty is justifiable. Mm. Right? I, I, I personally reject that, obviously. But I don't know companies who would really not hire people who have that belief. I think we can only judge people based on their actions, right? So when someone, for example, believes in death penalty and then starts calling for the death of somebody, let's say on social media, then that exactly is, is the problem. So it's a very tricky situation. Mm. Interesting. Thank you for raising that. Let's proceed to question number two. Speaking of judging people based on their beliefs, speaking of being proactive, do you think it's worth expressing your political views at work? And what do you think of companies who put limitations on their employees on what they can express politically at work? So for example, and here's a background for our listeners. When you look at policies around the world, they vary about protecting people's rights to share their political views. So for example, countries like United States, Netherlands, Australia, or even in the Philippines, it's illegal for employers to fire or to not hire an employee based on their race, uh, religion, or gender, because that's just basically the ideology of the society. But for example, in the US, and this is interesting because I only discovered this upon researching a few days ago, the federal law at large does not bar them from sanctioning you based on political affiliation or activity. In fact, a company in the United States has the right to sanction you if they think that your participation in a violent protest march causes bad reputation for the organization as a whole. So what are your thoughts about this, Neeks? Do you think companies have the right to influence the political activities of their employees? I think if we really want to live in a democracy, I think our workplaces should also be organized democratically. And I know that's an aspiration more than the norm. But I think if I'm a committed believer of democracy, then I think companies should not stop their employees from expressing their political beliefs. But that said, I also think that actions speak louder than voice in a corporate context. So, for example, what really counts to me in the workplace is not expressing our political views or a company saying we are for gender equality, for example, um, but how they actually act out those political beliefs. So, for example, if you're a company and you say you're for gender equality, put your money where your mouth is, right? Well, pay mm -hmm. your cleaners well. Cleaners are usually women and they're usually underpaid and they're usually underworked and their work doesn't stop in the office cleaning your toilets. It extends at home as you know they clean their own house, look after their own children and their aging parents. So yeah, it's great if a company professes to be for gender equality and call out sexist behavior, but put your money uh, where your mouth is. Yeah. Um, I think this is why I'm not super impressed by companies that have a lot of women in the board rooms or even countries like the Philippines that's had many female presidents. Because if that does nothing to gender equality, if that doesn't, let's say, uplift the lives or the status of women who are suffering the most, then I think it's meaningless. So in a way, I guess what I'm 
saying is sometimes talk is cheap. Companies that make money out of these fashionable political slogans like gender equality, diversity, multiculturalism, but not pay minoritized employees, then I think it's just really very upsetting and very hypocritical. They just take the easy route, but not really invest where it hurts. I'm going to put you on the spot, Neeks. <laughs> I hope that's okay. Don't I'm going to ask this question. Let's pretend that you're an employee in a company. You're about to get promoted. Okay. You know that you're up for a promotion, but it's in the hands of your boss. And unfortunately, you know that you and your boss have dissenting political views. So let's say Christmas party is happening soon. You happen to be in that Christmas party. And on the spot, someone asks you in front of your colleagues, including your boss, hey, John, so which party or candidate are you supporting? And you know that this is something that is very close to the heart of your manager and your boss. Will you share your thoughts? Will you keep it private or will you give a safe answer? And remember, you know that your promotion can rest in the hands of what you're going to be saying. I think first, a caveat, it depends on how much privilege you have. Right. Mm. So if you are in a position where for you, let's say you're already a bit high up in your career ladder and you can afford to assert your position, even if your promotion is at stake. But you know that you have a lot of other things going for you. That is privilege. And you can use that privilege to express your political position. I know that not everyone has that privilege. But since this is contextualized to me, uh, what I will do actually is to be very vocal and express my political preference. Personally, I actually don't believe in the privacy or the secrecy of the ballot. I think the secrecy mm-hmm. of the ballot matters for people who are at risk of, let's say, electoral violence, right? Like that's why some people are pressured to vote for a certain candidate. And that's why the ballot secrecy is very important. But for others, I think openly discussing who you're voting for is good, not just because we want to persuade other people, but also because it challenges us to defend our choices. So mm-hmm. I think uh, in that interaction you mentioned when you started the show, I think that could have been, or maybe it was, an enriching conversation when your client actually forces you, forces in a good way, pressures you to defend why you like this candidate. And maybe in that process, you start realizing, ah, actually, I don't know what this candidate stands for in relation to LGBT marriage. Or, oh, actually, yeah, I like this candidate. But when my client asked me or when my boss asked me, what is this candidate's position on the West Philippine Sea, right? Or on climate change. And then we start realizing, maybe my position is not that good. Maybe I need to do more research. Maybe I should also start looking at other candidates. So maybe I'd welcome that opportunity to talk to a more powerful person whose decision will influence my promotion and use that opportunity to convince that person and also be convinced that maybe my position is wrong. And I don't think there's anything wrong when we change our minds. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of open-mindedness and learning. I wish all managers are like that, though. (laughs) But they're not. We know this. (laughs) So another question. Are you open... Or how brave are you in posting on Facebook your political thoughts to the point that you know that your colleagues who probably you have added, and by the way, on hindsight, you may have, we should probably have not added them on Facebook, but they're already there and they could see your posts about a certain ideology or a policy that they don't support, but you fully support. 
are you the type of person who's mindful of what other people think or are you the type who just shrugs it off? Yeah, I actually stopped posting a lot of my political views on Facebook. Precisely for that reason, I've come to realize that Facebook was not designed for politics, right? It's literally a social media platform. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, Nix. That's a very groundbreaking thought. Facebook was not designed for political discussion. No, right? It was, it, Mark Zuckerberg designed it to rate girls in Harvard, right? And then it kind of evolved to become a political tool because it connects us. But really, I mean, it is social media. We, we want to connect to our friends and families and talk about our lives, show pictures of cats and dogs and, you know, latte art. So that's why sometimes it becomes very hard when we post our political views on Facebook because it's not designed for that. It's not designed for people to pause and reflect mm. on what they read. It's designed to bait you. It's designed to enrage you or make you feel good or it's designed for instantaneous emotions. And that really is not necessarily a good space for politics. Mm. Uh, But that said, when I do post my political views on Facebook, I really just have to be mindful that it may be misinterpreted. It may be misinterpreted by colleagues who probably don't support what I'm trying to say. And I think the best way to go about that is to not be defensive, but to learn how to ask questions. I think there have been so many Facebook fights that could have been averted if we just asked, what do you mean? rather than immediately reacting to a post and having this very long essay about why our friends or our family members uh, are wrong. So I think that's my premise when I post on Facebook. When I post something, I should be ready to be judged. I should be ready to be misinterpreted. But I should also be ready to defend my view uh, when I'm challenged. And that's why I hesitate to do that now. And I use other platforms to engage in political conversation. Because let's face it, Facebook is not designed for political conversation. I still can't get over that statement. I, it's a simple statement, but it's something that most people take for granted. And I so agree because if you post something, you're never given the chance to explain why. It's just a meme. It's just a photo. It's just a video. But the thought process behind it, you're not going to give in the opportunity to do and explain. And so, yeah. (laughs) Can I also just add, when we do some training sessions for, let's say, college students, we often tell them, you know, one of the safest ways to manage your reputation if you're applying for a job is to assume that job recruiters, HR recruiters, are checking on your social media accounts. And for that reason, it's better to keep your social media accounts private because you'll never know that the HR recruiter might be judging you and your eligibility to apply for a job just because you're supporting a different political view. Do you see the same thing? Because you're a professor, you're a researcher, you interact with a lot of students. Do your students stalk you online? I assume that they do. And are you mindful that what you might post might be taken against what you preach or what you share as your political view as well? Yeah, I don't think they stalk me. I don't think my students <laughs> are on Twitter. I'm not even on Instagram. Uh, so there's no room for that. Yeah, but I think, sorry, just reflecting on what you mentioned earlier that um, some companies vet their employees based on what they post and they may not be hired because of their political views. Again, speaking from a position of privilege, which I totally recognize, do you also want to work for a company that profiles you based on your political views? 
I mean, to me, that's already uh, a red flag. If you feel like even before hiring, they already thought, oh, this person talks about politics too much. We shouldn't hire this person. How will you thrive in that company if talking about politics is part of who you are, right? But of course, I understand people need jobs. People need to apply for as many jobs as they can. But if you have that privilege of selecting where you want to work, maybe you don't want to work for a workplace that already thinks your politics is a liability rather than something that can be enriching for the workplace. And I think well-run companies are like that, right? Did you meet your key performance indicators regardless of your political views? And I think this is why it's important for managers and leaders of a company to set the tone from the top and tell them what is acceptable and what they feel uncomfortable about. I think as long as there's transparency, then employees know how much leverage they can have when they convey their views to a wider public. I'm going to ask the questions. What do you think about my philosophy that you're not supposed to be adding your colleagues on Facebook? Because that's my number one rule. And I've been consistent about that since I was young. I will only add you on Facebook if we have been so close to the point that I know that you are going to love me and accept me for who I am. That's a good point. I have no criteria for adding or not adding colleagues. It's mostly me accepting friend requests than me actively reaching out to colleagues. I'm more vocal about my politics on Twitter where anyone can Mm. just follow. Because I I think on Twitter, the standard there is full transparency, right? Radical transparency. Transparency, unless your account is locked to private, okay. anyone has access to your ideas. So I don't like compartmentalizing on Facebook. All the political stuff are on Twitter. Okay. I'm mentioning it because we have lots of people who send us a message. Our listeners and our followers say, John, I have this issue because I posted this on Facebook and my manager thought it was wrong for me to do it. So at the back of my head, I would say, well, in the first place, why would you add your manager? You're only three months in the company. You don't know him that well. Were you the ones who added your manager or did your manager add you, I would recommend to not do that and just give an excuse that you're not active on Facebook anyway. So you're not adding anyone from your set of friends. So maybe the idea here is the challenge is for us to find our spaces in the internet where we can find support when we have these kinds of grievances rather than just screaming into the void and saying, this is what happened at work today. I hate it. And then you worry that your manager will read it. Yeah. So I think the challenge for us is to use social media to make meaningful connections and exploit all the affordances of private messaging and Facebook groups or other platforms for us to get the support that we need. So I think that is my advice. Don't just scream into the void. If there is something that you want to accomplish by sharing something in public, find your peeps, right? That is, mm. that is I think, the challenge. Nix, you know, you just made me realize in another alternate universe, I think you have another career. Make a guess. What is that? A diplomat. <laughs> I don't know. No, what? because the way, my gosh, like the way you speak, I'm like, wow, she's really trying to mesh all these conflicting ideas together. And she does it so harmoniously that I feel like I'm a bad person now. So, Nix, this is the last part. We have lots of listeners who are also entrepreneurs. Do you think it's beneficial for businesses to make a political stand? Because this also makes me wonder, since social media has become mainstream, we've seen small and big businesses vocalizing their stand. It's either support 
support for candidates, their stand for climate change, gender discrimination, etc. What makes me wonder is that businesses are not required. They're never required. No one's asking them. But out of their volition, they feel the need that they have to speak up and say something about this. So can I ask, what do you think prompts businesses? Knowing, and these are rational people, these are probably people who've experienced a lot of hardships in life, and so they've gained a lot of things that they're not supposed to risk their business out of a certain speech, and yet they still go that far. What do you think prompts them to say these things? Actually, I don't know. I should be the one asking you that. But what I can say is businesses always make a stand. To be neutral is a stand. To not do anything in the face of injustice is a stand, right? Mm. And that stand is the stand of privilege. To say nothing is actually a privilege, right? To not do anything is a privilege. So I think I probably would like to challenge that question a bit instead of asking, should businesses make a stand? Should they be neutral? Or what prompts them to make a stand? I think businesses make a political stand every single day. Saying something may be the obvious way of doing that, but the way they treat their employees, their company policies, the way they structure their profits, that is a political stand, right? So honestly, if you ask me, will I support a business who declared public support to a particular candidate that I also support myself, I would say not necessarily. I want to know how you treat your janitors. I want to know how you treat your delivery drivers. I want to know how you pay them. Because to me, again, talk is cheap. Thank you for supporting my candidate, but really that doesn't impress me. So here's also my dilemma, Neeks. And I'm going to ask you to be my therapist in this case. Every time I post something on Facebook that has something to do with a political stand about, hey, this company did this and I think it's wrong or hey this candidate or this politician did this and I think it's wrong every time I post that on social media there's always going to be one follower who's going to make a comment and say Jonathan stick to what you know about PowerPoint slides and leadership and then at the back of my mind wait a minute I talk about leadership and this is about leadership great leaders support their people and if you can't make that support for your constituents then i am a hypocrite i'm only talking about leadership in the boardroom but why can't i talk about leadership in real life when you get to apply that to a larger society yeah exactly neutrality might sound safe but really our neutrality harms other people as well because not doing anything means it's okay. I can live with it. Can we really live with it? I mean, the planet is literally burning, right? Mm. Um, to say I'm neutral with climate change really is saying I'm fine that some people in some island countries uh, lose their land because their island countries are sinking. That mm. That is what neutrality means. That is not doing anything political means. So to not do anything, like what I said, is privilege. And I think the point that I also want to highlight is speaking out publicly is just one way of being political. Our actions can also be political. Yeah, how much do you pay your employees, for example, as you mentioned a while ago? Exactly. That is a stand on social justice. That is a stand on wealth redistribution, which I think is really meaningful in the context of business. So I think this is why this process of deliberating on our policies um, is so important. Because if we want change, Unfortunately, we need the state to be on our side. 
that is why what's at stake with elections, what's at stake with taking part in politics is convincing people with power to take the side of the oppressed. And that's why it's so contentious. That's why it's really difficult to have these conversations. So this one's a meta conversation now. Are you therefore going to judge? And I'm asking this maybe from a personal point of view. Are you going to judge a business who decides to be silent over an issue that they know is glaringly wrong only because they know that it can compromise their business and they might, in the middle of the pandemic, when you know that people are at risk and they might lay off their employees, they choose to be silent because they know it might backfire them? Uh, What are your thoughts about that? I, I will not judge a business if they do that because obviously they have their own calculation, right? Their their primary goal is to survive. Their primary goal is to be able to pay their employees instead of laying them off. What I will judge though are businesses that are making huge profits but choose not to invest in environmental protection. What Mm. I will judge are businesses who have the capacity to be carbon neutral but chose not to because it's easier to keep damaging the planet. So I think the main criterion here for me is what do businesses do with their privilege? Because not all businesses have privilege. So I think I will shift my attention to bigger businesses that make huge profit and wonder on whose backs are these profits built? And usually it's on the backs of exploited workers in an exploited environment. So let's judge those businesses, not the smaller businesses who are struggling to survive. But yeah, I think um, what really connects all of my answers here is really a call for us to learn how to be better conversation partners as we try to build our democracies, as we try to figure out how we can live together, given all of our differences. So when you introduced me, you introduced me as someone who works at the Center for Deliberative Democracy and Global Governance. And that has always been a part of my work as an academic to think about ways on how we can deliberate together and how we can live in the same world together because we have no choice. So let's figure that out together on how we can make collective decisions better together. Can I just say that that is the most beautiful answer that a Miss Universe contestant should be saying for... No, but Unfortunately, I I'm 5'2 and 38 years old. I cannot <laughs> join a beauty pageant. But by the way, if you guys are going to stalk Neeks, you'll understand why Neeks is eligible to join the Miss Universe pageant still. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you. Yes, this is such an enriching conversation. So thank you for the invitation. You made me feel so special. You are special, Neeks. You're always going to be special. I owe you a lot. Thank you. I hope to see you and catch you again soon. And for our listeners, we hope to see you in the next episode. For sure, Jed is going to be in that episode. Catch you soon. Stay safe. Bye. 